morning, Gospel Grace. It is a joy to be up here and open God's Word with you all today. Um, let's take a quick poll before we get started. How many of you have already taken down your Christmas trees? Any hands? Oh my goodness. Guys, it's been one week. <laughs> How many of you are going to take it down this week? Right? And anyone here waiting till Valentine's Day? Let's see. Yes, we got some wonderful. Oh, the whole month of December is this anticipation towards Christmas. It is the lighting of the candles every Sunday as we look forward to celebrating Christmas with friends and family, but also remembering the Advent, the coming of Christ. But now, here we are. Six days passed, some of the trees are down, the wrapping paper is in the trash or recycling, the gifts are unwrapped, vacation time is coming to an end. Now, what? What do we do now that Christmas has passed? I hope that our passage today will help us with that. Because this passage, in some way, is Paul's response to the story of Christmas. It is Paul responding to the truth that Christ, he himself, came and preached peace to us. Our section, you can glance down just at the beginning of Ephesians 3, verse 14, begins with the phrase, for this reason. And the reason which Paul talks about is found all across chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Ephesians. But let me just give you some of the reasons from chapter 2. Paul talks about how we were dead in our sins, but God was rich in mercy that even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. We're saved by grace through faith. This is a gift. It is not a result of works. We are saved by God alone, and, and we are his workmanship. And how was this done? Christ himself came, who's our peace. He came and preached. And now we're no longer strangers, but we are part of the household of God, fellow citizens with the saints. And this household has been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we all are together being built up as a dwelling place for God. And to all these glorious truths, what is Paul's response? Paul's response is this prayer that we are going to read in Ephesians 3, beginning verse 14. I hope you can turn there with me in the Pew Bibles and see it in front of you. It is on page 977. All right, let's read beginning verse 14 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we than all that we can think or ask according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, today, as we approach your word, we ask that you would do what this passage says that you would do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Holy Spirit, work in our inner person. Christ, dwell in us. Help us today through the preaching of your word. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Right. In our shorter time today, I'd like to ask three questions of this passage. The first question is, what did Paul do? The second question will be, what should we do? And the third question is going to be, what is God doing? All right, so let's look at the first of those questions. What did Paul do in response to all those glorious truths found in Ephesians? And we see immediately that Paul's response is a humble prayer that glorifies God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, the usual posture of the Jewish man was to stand and pray. But Paul uses a curious term here, is to bow down and pray. And it signifies something. It signifies that these, these truths that Paul has just taught were causing him to be so overcome with emotion, with joy, that when he went to pray for the Ephesians, he could not stand. He had to just fall down on his knees in front of God, so overcome with awe that he could barely stand. The only way he could pray was to fall down. I think thanks to YouTube, all of us can somehow imagine, right, what that picture would look like. We've all seen some of these videos. A guy with a camera and a boatload of money goes to the single mom, working two jobs, three kids, trying to make ends meet and gives her $100,000 in college tuition. And you can imagine the response of this mother who breaks down at this gift. And here Paul is responding to a far greater more immeasurable, eternal gift of God. And, and these truths cause him to break down. There's a commensurate, raw emotion that is turned to prayer. You can see that these truths weren't merely some 
intellectual categories that Paul was trying to gather and put into his mind. These were truths that were reaching deep into Paul's heart. And let's not miss that because theology must lead to doxology. Knowledge of God must lead to worship of God. So we just wrapped up Christmas. What's next? Well, now is for us to live in the knowledge of the fact that God came to dwell with his people. We live in praise and humility of all that he has done. Not only does this passage turn theology into praise, it affects the way that Paul prays. Paul's prayer is rooted, if you just glance up at verse 12 just before our passage, Paul's prayer is rooted in this boldness and confidence in his access to God. It's a confidence rooted in the blessed assurance that we just sang about. It's a confidence rooted in the fact that Christ has accomplished his salvation and has granted him access to the Father. Paul approaches the Father knowing that the Father is more than willing to receive his children. And unlike that YouTube giveaway that lasted perhaps 12 minutes for monetization, God has given us a gift that lasts eternally. And he has given us himself Paul prays to the Father and he uses this phrase from whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that is Paul's attempt to, to remind us that God's reign is cosmic in nature. There is nothing outside God's rule. He is all powerful. And yet, this God is our Father. The late Tim Keller captured the awe of this imminence, the nearness, and the transcendence of God in this beautiful statement. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. So in light of this nearness of a great, all-powerful God, Paul prays for us prays for the Ephesian believers, and in doing so, teaches us how to pray and what to pray for. With that, let's ask our second question. What should we do? Because Paul's style of prayer here is a descriptive style. He's not only praying, but he's instructing us how to pray. Let's read the first part of the prayer, beginning with verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is asking for two things that happen concurrently. One, that believers would be strengthened by the spirit in their inner being, and two, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. The work of the spirit here is to strengthen the inner man, the inner man that God 
alone can reach. This is not about some external conformance. This is about a work of the Spirit that reaches the heart of who we are. Paul wants every believer to be like a sleeper car. You know that term? It's like you can look like trash outside, like, like a 1998 Toyota Corolla. But on the inside, somehow you have this V8 engine just waiting there, just revving. And though our outer selves may be wasting away, Paul desires that we would be strengthened by the work of the Spirit in our inner selves so that we would have the power and the ability to comprehend something great, immeasurable, the fullness of God. And Paul prays for this deep indwelling of Christ in the life of the believer. You know, there were two words that Paul could have used to say dwell in the Greek. One word is katoikio, and the other one is paroikio. The first option was a weaker one. It is like checking into a hotel room for a night. But the second option is parochial, which signifies a permanent indwelling. And Paul uses the second option. It is someone moving into a house they own, and you know they will make it their home. By grace through faith, Jesus enters our hearts when he saves us, and he will make our hearts his home. And he does this as he cleanses our hearts of sin and fills it with his glory. And thankfully, he does this with patience and grace, doesn't he? Because we aren't <laughs> eager to just hand over the reins of our life. Yet Christ cannot be fully content unless every aspect of our life is under his rule. Christ must reign in our personality, our thoughts, our will, our emotions, and whatever else lies at the center of our being. That is what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying for this deep strengthening and indwelling because he knows that his readers need to be strengthened, that we need to be strengthened in order to receive all the blessings that God has for us. Just as a starving man needs to be fed small things before he can accept strong meat. Paul is deeply concerned for his fellow believers and he calls on the riches of the glory of God for the powerful working of God in the life of the believers. What Paul is chiefly concerned for is the spiritual growth of the Ephesian believers. We pray for what we are most concerned about, don't we? Almost every prayer of Paul recorded in Scripture was dedicated to the spiritual well-being of other people. Here is Paul facing persecution, imprisonment, personal needs, abundance, lack, everything. And yet, his focus remained on praying 
for his fellow believers and seeking their spiritual growth. His prayers revealed what he was most concerned about. What do your prayers reveal? What are you most concerned about? I think at the cusp of a new year, we can often look forward in anticipation for what has come. Some of that manifests in resolutions that kind of make it through Jan, maybe. Some of that, though, manifests in our prayers, in our thoughts, in the longings of our heart. What are you hoping and praying for this next year? Now, we have this free, bold access to God, to the riches of his glory. And I can look back in my own life and say, I often squander those on some trivial pursuits. Why? Because are there things more important? Or do we just not believe that God can actually do what we need him to do? Let us be bold and ask God for more. Let us pray like Paul prays, seeking for what is most important, that we would be strengthened by the Spirit, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. And through this, that we would be so rooted and grounded that we may comprehend the love of God. Let's read our passage starting from the second part of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This indwelling of God in the believer leads the believer to be rooted and grounded. Paul uses a botanical and an architectural term to show that there is a stability that is a result of such prayer. It is a surety in the work of Christ. It is Romans 16, 8, 16 that says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God. And notice the phrase, with all the saints. Being rooted and grounded has a communal aspect to it. None of this is done alone. The book of Ephesians carries with it this imagery of a family we're all a household together, and God is our Father. This pursuit is not meant to be a solitary, individualistic, isolated occupation. We're to do it together with all the saints. A deeper and a more profound comprehension of God's love is only possible when we come together as a community this occurs when we humbly sit under the preaching of God's word, study and discuss it collectively, emerge, and through it emerges the sharing of knowledge and experiences of God's glory and his love in our lives. It reveals itself in the actions of our fellow believers and ultimately unites our hearts together in worship and adoration of God. 
But one of the greatest shifts that took place during the period of the Enlightenment was that the locus of understanding of the world became the individual. And this is an idea that has um, endured, <laughs> that's the word, that has endured. I mean, you find it in movies, you'll find it in Disney, you'll find it everywhere. The individual is the center of truth. What I decide, what I say, how I perceive the world must be right. This passage contradicts that notion immediately. It says two things. It says, we need God and we need each other. That's it. We need God to help us understand and we need each other to do the same. Now, there have been numerous interpretations of the, of the height and length and breadth and depth that Paul is referring to. Some have said it's, it's the forearms of Christ going in all different directions. Some have said it is the, all the directions of the cube of Jerusalem. But what I think makes most sense is that Paul is praying for his readers to have this expanded awareness of everything he has taught them so far in the letter and the power of God that is available to them. And I know that there are many of us here who desire to comprehend the height and length and breadth and depth of Christ's love. We wrestle with God. We wrestle with the teachings that we find in the book of Ephesians. And I hope today we can learn how to pursue this. Paul is teaching us that the pursuit of comprehending the love and work of God begins with faith, finds expression in prayer, sources its strength in the spirit, seeks to submit to the Lordship of Christ, pays attention to the revelation of God in his word, and is accompanied by the company, counsel, and correction of other believers. Let me say that again. Paul is teaching us that the pursuit of comprehending the love and work of Christ begins with faith, finds expression in prayer, sources its strength in the spirit, seeks to submit to the lordship of Christ, pays attention to the revelation of God's word, and is accompanied by the company counsel and correction of other believers. And I think we can often put the cart before the horse. We want to understand the complex before giving ourselves to the simple. We want to pursue understanding the word without submission to Christ. We want to do it by ourselves without the accountability of others. That is not how Paul intends or how God intends for us to grow in our comprehension of him. And if you're struggling with some aspects of God's word today, I hope you can give yourself to the manner of prayer and pursuit that Paul is talking about in this passage. So we looked at what we should do. Let's ask the third question now. What is God? And I want you to notice this. 
God is fully involved in the life of the believer. Do you see that in this passage? The Father is listening to our prayers. The Holy Spirit is strengthening our inner self and Christ is dwelling in our hearts. This is not some vengeful or distant God. This is a God who loves us. And take a moment and think of the joy and the fellowship that we have access to. God is our strength. You know, verse 19 is a little bit of an oxymoron. Paul is praying that we may comprehend something that is incomprehensible. Like, that you may comprehend something that far surpasses knowledge. But thankfully, God is all-powerful to help us comprehend what is incomprehensible. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. In verse 19, the love of Christ is, is beyond our understanding. But in verse 20, the activity of God is beyond our expectation or thought. The idea of grace, that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, the idea of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, the idea that God himself came to us and died for us to preach peace to us, the idea that God himself fulfilled the law, the idea that he has established a household where he is our father and we can be his children is so radical, is so counterintuitive to everything that this world teaches that it takes the power of God beyond our understanding to help us understand the things of God beyond our power. It takes the radical working of God and the strength of God to help us understand that. And this God is not only our strength, he is our reward. The end of Paul's prayer shows that the greatest treasure of all awaits us, realizing the fullness of God, knowing his presence and being made more like Christ. Only in Christ of the Bible, fully God, fully man, can the apostles' prayer be realized. Do you see some of the Trinitarian-like connections here? Like Christ is dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit is working in you, and through that you will realize the fullness of God. If Christ wasn't the fullness of God, and the Holy Spirit wasn't the fullness of God, how would you realize the fullness of God without Christ and the Holy Spirit being the fullness of God? It is just elementary, my dear Watson. <laughs> Only in Christ of the Bible can this prayer be true. And we can experience God this way. When I talk about experiencing God, you know, there, there is a danger to reducing like, our faith to some mere experience, neglecting the teachings of the word. Some desire just the experience, a mere sense of spirituality tied to Jesus. 
a feeling, a spiritual high, and that's all. However, I think that many of us may perhaps be on the other side of the spectrum. We don't follow Paul's example, asking just more of God in our lives. We don't seek to experience his fullness in our entirety. And when was the last time that we prayed, God, would you just help me comprehend you more? That you may help me feel and experience your fullness in my heart, in my emotions. And that is the prayer in this passage. Maybe you're there and you're like, you know what, I'm just an emotionless person. And I've never felt that. Well, it's a good thing that our God can do the impossible, isn't it? It's hard to capture the Greek of verse 20. If you would like transliterate it, it would be like to do beyond everything, quite exceedingly beyond measure. Paul is talking about his favorite superhero, like a child. He's the most super smashing, excellent, great cape wearing superhero. Paul stacks up these words to convey the immeasurability of what God is doing. The reason we can pray confidently is because God is more powerful than our weaknesses our failings, our brokenness, our addictions, our depression, our anxiety, or our indiscipline. He is able to work despite us and work in us. And we have confidence because of this, because he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And if you're a believer here, know that God is working in your life. Step out in faith. Trust him. Reach for experiencing the fullness of God. Allow Christ to reign in your life. Trust that he can do far more abundantly than you can comprehend. Be strengthened. Do not lose heart. Kneel down and pray. Or it may be that you're not a Christian here today. Know that God desires to be your father. I mean, do you long for that intimate connection described here? I wonder if you've tried to satisfy that need with other things and it's just, just left you unsatisfied. Today, like Paul, because of Christ's work, we can access God as a father. Is God still a cosmic judge to you? Please don't leave today without turning to God and asking for mercy. I was just thinking this, don't leave today being alone and lonely. Be adopted into the family of God. I would love to talk to you about that today.